Enterprise Digital Podcast with Ian Aitchison and Barclay Ray, navigating the ever-expanding service management maze. Well, hello again. It's the Enterprise Digital Podcast. Here we are once more. It's a sunny afternoon. We're just kicking back. It's been a busy and uh, enthralling week, I, I would say. I'm Barclay Ray, and I am joined once more by the ever-intrepid, not just intrepid, but ever-intrepid, Ian Aitchison. Ian, how are you doing this week? Yes, doing very well. Thank you, Barclay. I'm doing very well. I trust you all the same. I am, thank you. I've I've had some time off recently, which is great at the time, but uh, you come back to more stuff. So um, I have a backlog the size of uh, Lithuania at the moment. So I have a small uh, theory or conversation about that. I was talking to someone about this last week. If you go away for a long time, two weeks, it's actually okay coming back because you ease back into it. You gradually get back into work. You know, the first morning you're still kind of in holiday mode and you gradually get back. If you take a short break, two days, maybe three, maybe one, nothing stops. And you come back to work with a bang and you've got to catch up in the first few hours. You've got to catch up three days work and then carry on. So uh, my recommendation, take a longer break. I do, but I usually get bored after about between seven and 10 days. This, this time I had seven days off, which is probably optimally bad for me because I hadn't quite got bored yet. And anyway, we, um, as ever, I believe that you might have some trivia with you. Is that, is that correct? Yes, I have. Yes, and it's trivia about one of my favourite subjects, which is cheese. Ah, indeed. Yeah, this this week's trivia, Barclay. I know you'll love this one. Did you know Delaney Irving, who is a 19-year-old Canadian, this last week successfully won the very famous race down Cooper's Hill? And I'm looking for the name of the race. That's the one. You've got it. Yes. Yeah. The famous cheese roll down Cooper's Hill in Gloucestershire. Um, and uh, she knocked herself unconscious as she crossed the finish line. Excellent. And successfully won possibly the first non-UK winner of the Gloucestershire Hill cheese race, where they chase a wheel of cheese down a very, very steep hill. I think chase is probably maybe not quite the, the right term. I think it's just roll, roll yeah. themselves uncontrollably yes tumble Tum- tumble indeed tumble indeed yes gravity plays a bigger part in that race than anything else i think congratulations to her i thought that was great well done miss irving well as, as a cheese lover myself I, I i can only lament the waste of the cheese i hope they still eat it somehow but i'm not sure i'd want to after it rolled down a hill what are we up to this week then oh yes so do we have a special guest this week, Barclay, do we have a special guest? I think we do. And I'm humbled to say that it's it's me, I believe. It is. <laughs> it is. We have we have more extra special non-podcast host guests, but I've, I've been wanting for a while to bring our own hosts onto the podcast and interview them. I'd like to interview you, Barclay. I'd like you to step into the spotlight and for us to spend a bit of time for our eager podcast listener, Hello, you, uh, to hear a little bit about Barclay. Okay, well, here we go with all that. Um, and and good luck with interviewing me, see if you can get anything out of me. And then we will do the same with you in, in, in future. 
and and find out more about your your life etc yes here i am i'm delighted thank you for inviting me it's very good to have you with us Okay, so we're acquainted and have to hand over the reins to um, to you for this, Ian, because um, I'm not just going to go off on a on a monologue. Ask me specific focused questions and I shall give you the best nebulous answers I can think of. Fantastic. Well, let's let's use this time well, because I know, you know, you're, you're a fairly well known, if not very well known figure in the uh, IT service industry. You've been around for some time and we'll talk maybe a little bit about that. There's lots of people that know the name or know the brand, the mm. legend that is Barclay Ray, maybe. But I think it's interesting to find out about the person as well. So uh, we're going to we're going to start by asking you a little bit more about you personally, and uh, you know, tell me how we. We'll start with your accent, right? You you've got a Scottish accent, Barclay. Tell me about where you came from and where you are now in your life. I have a Scottish accent, and it's not it's not affected. It's it's a real one, although. So I come from Glasgow, which is a large post-industrial city in the west of Scotland, the, big, the biggest city in Scotland. Although I have to say, I there's a lot of people come from Glasgow who have got some hard credentials. I can't claim that. I was really reputation, doesn't it? I've been to Glasgow a few times, and every time I've been, I've loved it. Now maybe I've been lucky enough not to be in the hard regions of Glasgow, but I found it a gorgeous city. It's a good place to grow up, is it? It is. It was, and and I grew up in a bit of a bubble. I grew up in the, it's called the West End of Glasgow, which is the kind of, uh, you know, it's definitely on the middle class, bohemian side of things. We had a lots of, arty, it was near the university, near the BBC, near various other things that made that area a very focused one. I, I still have a very close group of friends that I, grew up with, all scattered about, but. Um, very much see Glasgow as the as our home mm. city, and yeah, mm. it is it is a lovely city. It really is. Everybody goes on about Edinburgh, um, and Edinburgh is a bit like I suppose Paris to France or London to England in a way that it's it's a really interesting place. It's a great place, but it's not necessarily you know completely representative of Scotland. Put it that way. Yeah, same way yeah. They're very different, different cities. Yeah, yeah. And they are very different cities, and I, and I've. I briefly lived in Edinburgh for a little while, but I grew up first 23, 24 years of my life in, in Glasgow. Yeah, That's a natural lead into the next step. You left Glasgow when you were 23, 24. You had your flares on, you had your 70s hair, possibly a big moustache, I don't know. Um, and uh, you had your pack over your shoulder as you walked out of the city. You turned your back on Glasgow. Where were you going and why did you go? Well, I, I was moving to London. I, at the time, I, I was a aspiring musician and I had worked in, in music for quite a few years already by that time and toured and done all sorts of things and saw London as the place to to go to expand I mean nowadays you don't do that you stay and you 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 build in, in your home city and I tried to do that I suppose but yeah I just wanted to expand horizons a little bit I'd gone to university in Glasgow as well which I suppose to a lot of people is is odd but it's what what we did in Glasgow, most people go to the to the home university. What did you study? Um, drinking and snooker, um, <laughs> uh, philosophy and, and fine art. I, I have a degree in fine art and 
Wow. Okay, so here's a little bit of trivia, Barclays. We're doing this special interview podcast. My two children, one of them is doing an art illustration degree and the other one is going, hopefully, to do a philosophy degree. So there you go. Look at how weird is that? What a coincidence. So there you were. You were on the road down to London. You had your your bagpipes over your back, your guitar over your back. I've seen you play the piano. What's your instrument of choice? Well, I have two. I I started out as a drummer and and percussionist and um, but also played piano so i played both really no mm-hmm. even sometimes at the same time but not very often did you uh, did you have a job lined up down in london i sort of had a job I, the sort of sideline thing that i had done and this this leads into where i am now is that i got a job relatively early occasional work for a company that did phone-ins you know they, they did tv phone-ins we did campaigns for sort of health and, you know, government campaigns. And there was a company in Glasgow that did it, had a contract, and there's a sister company in London that did it. Mm. So when I moved down to London, I I went to see them and said, you know, I've done X number of Radio 1 campaigns and stop smoking campaigns and stuff. You know, can you give me some temporary work? And they said, yeah, please. And that resulted about a year later in me being a part of the Live Aid program and project. I went to the press conference at Wembley, you know, and, and all sorts of things associated with that. So that kind of took off. And at the same time, I got work, more work as a musician, but it, it took me away and actually didn't, I wasn't in the UK when Live Aid actually happened. I'd done you, sort of set up stuff. What were you doing around Live Aid? Because that's a major political, uh, cultural event, not poli- a major cultural event. Uh, so what were you doing around Live Aid? I was involved in setting up the, the phone and I was a project manager on that. So I, I sat in the BT offices in uh, St. Paul's okay. as part of a small team negotiating with them how many lines they would give us for Live Aid. Excellent. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was it was comical because we were talking about, well, how many thousand we thought we could have. And we'd done some research to say, like, yeah, the telephony these days, you can do that. And BT said, um, we'll give you four, <laughs> and literally. And we were like, do you realize how big this is? <laughs> do you realize what the... And of course, they came around eventually, and you know it was fantastic, great support that we had in the BT Tower and all over the UK and so on, uh, and even then worldwide for the other stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I was heavily involved in that. But at the same time, music stuff was sort of kicking off, and I ended up going traveling, touring for a few more years before I came back to uh, to the UK. Okay, and uh, I uh, as we move towards your professional career. You already had started there with, I'm going to make the connection with telephone lines and phoning in and a a customer audience that needs some form of service fulfillment, which is interesting. So you went traveling and just quickly, where did you go? Well, for a while I worked with a group that mostly worked in Scandinavia. So we worked in Norway, Denmark, Greenland. I spent nine months in Greenland. Right. Right. Oh, Bizarrely, crazy. but it was it, it was actually well paid. It, it it was fun. It was different. You know, I would never have ever gone there for any other for any other reason. So, but I'd also worked in other groups before traveling in Europe and and, and beyond. So, I was quite used another, to that. Another fascinating bit of Ian trivia for you, Barkley. When you were there working in that in that was it a tower in London on those phone lines for Live Aid, making sure they all got set up and that all the phone lines were working. I was at a roller disco, true fact. I was at a roller disco and then came home to watch Live Aid afterwards. But there we are, true fact. 
<laughs> I, I really want to see the photographs of that. A roller <laughs> yeah, true fact. That's something that, 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 that I always just thought it was a myth. I just thought it was oh, something great. invented for films. No, 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 no. Roller discos were a fantastic thing when you were uh, me at that age. But that's for another time and another interview. But uh, yeah, roller discos are good. So let, let's let's start to follow the trajectory of your professional career then. You came back to the UK and how did you end up where you are now? Tell me about your professional journey from that's then till now. Bizarre, really, and a number of different things. But I was at that point wanting to settle down a bit more and, and looking for a job. I didn't really know what to do. I actually I signed up to do a, a course, a computer course, because at the time everybody was, even in music, everybody was using, starting to use home-built computers and stuff. I didn't know much about it. So I went on this course that lasted, I think it was either eight or 10 weeks. I can't believe how long it took. I mean, it was like full-time, paid for, and it was the sort of thing now that would probably take a day or two days. But it sort of broke me into that, and, and I got comfortable with that, even though I wasn't really particularly massively technically interested in it. Um, and that still prevails. I, you know, I use the stuff, but I'm not I'm not going to um, – I don't waken up thinking about coding and stuff. And from that, I just started to get jobs, a few temporary jobs, and eventually then got a job as a computer operator. And this is still in the 80s. This is still in the 19 mm. – So your hairstyle will have moved on from that long, shaggy 70s, possibly perm and flares. And now you've got the – the possibly backcombed, possibly dyed, maybe a goth look. I don't know. I, I'm sort of picturing that. That uh, sort I, of. I'm, I'm, I, I wasn't a goth. My, my wife is was a goth, but not me. But no, I, one thing I have to say about my hair is it's never changed. It's, I mean, it's still got it, but it's it was the same. You look at pictures of me in the 80s, still the same. Yeah, but I, I started working then. You know, up up, and I, by that time I was, I suppose had done quite a lot of stuff and walked into getting a sort of regular job, found it very difficult at first to suddenly become something else, you know, still having it in mind that I was probably going to go back to music or something, but that didn't happen. But at the same time, seeing the way that people worked and was quite horrified really walking into an IT department, you know, and it was IBM mainframe and all the things that go with that, um, BM and all those kind of things, print room, Punch yeah. cards. Punch yeah, yeah, I use punch cards, JCL, punch cards, learn how to do that. But people who just didn't care about, you know, good people, but they just didn't care about what they were doing in relation to any kind of concept of customer or, or business because they didn't have to. They, it was managed in such a way that they... So I, I kind of progressed quite quickly. That was a company called Istel, which was the IT part of Rover or Leyland as it was at the time. And kind of went on from there and started to get other jobs and just moved up through, I suppose, more management. Ended up working for Abbey National, which is, mm -hmm. you know, a big, what is now a bank, Santander, mm -hmm. or whatever. But in that, I was put on a management training program and that kind of changed a lot of things because I was sort of taken aside and people said, well, you know, you could do consulting or you could do other things because you kind of read the room and you, get the right results and all that sort of thing from all the exercises that we're doing without trying to play it. You know, you, you're just doing that. So I, I kind of took that on board and I had employed a consultant to help me with a project. And um, 
suddenly thought, yeah, I would like to do that. So that that that's where it was, and, and so that's nearly thirty years ago now. But I've been doing that ever since. Wow! So that's then that feels I don't know if it is unusual. That feels slightly unusual to have gone to consultancy quite maybe quite early in your career. You made that move early on. It's obviously the right direction for you. You've stuck with it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I mean if I look now to try and find consultants, I I do look for people who are, you know, they've got experience and they've got they know something, but they're still at the point maybe where they can be flexible and change and move on and still have a lot of potential. There are points where people can't go beyond that, I think. And it was kind of made, you know, most people that are engaged as consultants go out, go to university and then they go into a consultant training program. Bizarrely, I now train people in that myself, but the, you know, that, that's in their early to mid twenties and they, they get used to that lifestyle and way of being and so on and, and how they develop through time. The other way is to get some experience and then become a consultant. And I know a lot of people who have done that maybe just a little bit too late because their ability to change or flex, not their knowledge so much, but just their positioning in terms of commercial awareness, how you position yourself and so on. It, it just does take quite a, a little bit of a shift to get used to it. Okay, let, let's swing slightly back to you personally again. You came back to the uk you you had those jobs you worked with punch cards you didn't change hairstyle you moved into a career of consultancy what about you where you were living in fact where are you living now so tell me the the journey of not your address but you still live in london do you you live i live in london yes i have done well I, i took a bit of a route because i did when I came back, I lived in a few places, but I lived in Oxford for a couple of years, which I, I really liked. I enjoyed that. And then actually moved back to Glasgow for four or five years and one particular role that was I was offered. Bought a house there and then and then that's when I started doing the consultancy. And I was basically commuting between Glasgow and London. I used to have two old cars, one always parked at one of the airports um, and kind of going to and forth. So it was really 97 that I finally said, no, I'm definitely going to go and live in London. And I've been here ever since, uh, living in Crystal Palace, South London. Very nice. You have family? Yeah. Uh, Married, have two kids and a dog. Very nice. Very good. All right. So there you are happily living in Crystal Palace uh, now and uh, your consultancy career obviously grew and developed and you did more at what point did you feel you were starting to develop a, a brand identity because you have a brand identity right people know know your brand was that a conscious move by you to get there because some consultants they're just you know they advertise that they can do some work you you have much more of a brand mindset I think well it, it just happened I mean I, I at first because I started working with right at the start with what is now SDI and used to be Hug, and they they gave me Howard Kendall gave me the first piece of work, which was actually a report up for the industry on the software market. Hmm. Bizarrely, that was the first piece of paid work I did, and that gave me a bit of a profile at the time as being the guy who does the software stuff, you know, and kind of went on from there. And I, I then formed, I was part of a, a partnership, a company called E2E. Uh, with my friend Candy Kandapa, and we had that for best part of 10 years, actually. And, yeah, we had quite a lot of people. We had staff, offices, associates, all sorts of things. It kind of went up and down, learned a lot about running a business, things to do, things not to do. 
and he went off and did something else and I was running it for a while and then I was kind of thinning it down and eventually I, I was getting a bit fed up with it. So I sold it to what then became SDI and, and went and worked for SDI for three or four years, which I really enjoyed. But again, it's time to move on. At that point, I worked, went and worked for one of the vendors, Axios, uh, IFS as it is now. And then that kind of didn't go as quite the way I thought it would go. And eventually found myself, what, 2010, looking for something. And so I just started being a, an independent again without any great plan at the time. And um, it just kind of gone on from there, really. Got lucky with a few things like doing the media stuff and the podcast and ITSM TV and mm -hmm. Service Desk Inspector and those kind of things. And that, that's when Twitter and social was just really fun kicking off, you know. So I've just kind of gone on from there. Until relatively recently, I have I've have felt that I've been maybe drifting a little bit with that because I've done ITIL and I've done various other things, lots and lots of work, which is great. For a kind of long term, where do I go with this? Then I've kind of been rethinking that a little bit recently. So hence we do this and other things, and and um, I want to try and make it something that will continue rather than just stop when I whenever I decide to stop. If you know what I mean? Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Now, so to somebody looking at your career trajectory, and I, and I'm going to take us back to fun questions as well in a minute, but I was going to ask. Someone looking at that sort of path and saying, well, I, I think consultancy might be for me. I'm not sure, but, you know, it sounds like Barclay's done okay. He lives in Crystal Palace. He's got a dog. It's not bad. Maybe I should do that, he thinks. What would you say to somebody is the, the best things about being a consultant? Why, why have you kept doing it so long? What makes it so good for you? I think it does depend hugely on what you like doing and what you're good at doing. And and then to to a lesser extent, what you're prepared to do, if you if you put it like that, because there are some restrictions or constraints on your lifestyle. There are with every job, you know. No no job is completely you know autonomous and independent. Even when people say, "Oh, I'm my own boss," yeah, but you've got to go and find business and work for people. So I've found a balance. I've found a thing that I I'm quite good at doing, and a level at which I'm. I like doing it, which is short, strategic, and move on. I call it the, the Mary Poppins theory of consultancy. Dysfunctional family, you go in and Mary Poppins goes in and doesn't do anything, but by her being there, they see what they need to do, and then they all kind of love each other again. And then the wind changes and she leaves. And that's actually quite a sustainable form of business. If you can maintain the level of it, it's actually probably more it's probably more reliable than just, you know, saying, oh, I've got a, a full-time job. You know, you lose that job, then you've lost the job. Lots of little bits are actually quite sustainable, but you have to maintain the the brand and the presence and all those things to do that. Less career uh, security. That's what people always say about consultancy. You get the, the benefits of being Mary Poppins, who, by the way, did do things. She sung, she danced with Dick Van Dyke, and she put up with his terrible British accent, which all of those things are good. But as a consultant, the benefit is you get to be Mary Poppins, but the downside surely is the personal career security is more fragile, right? Well, that's why I'm saying it actually, once you get to a certain stage with it, it's it's less fragile because if you have the business, you have the, so, I mean, I rely on various partners that I work with and I have done for some time and my own business and so on. And so it's, you know, if one of them 
drops for whatever reason, it's not the end of the world and I can keep going and, and maintain what I do. The career part is is a good point because it's like, well, where do you where do you go? But you know, I've gone from you know being a, a one man guy and then having a company and then doing other things, but then progressing to being an author, SDI author, ITIL author, and so on. So it it, it you know it, it's it depends what actually the the kick I get is doing the work is is actually being able to go in and help people and get some success and for them to be in some way changed or improved as a result of it. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of people who like who's, who do like to have the I progress up the ladder thing. Consultancy is probably not for them. There's also you might have to be a bit more of a kingmaker than a you know the the top person who gets the, all the credit. Quite often you don't get the same level of credit. But but if you get the kick from actually making it work, then that's all, that for me is is what what you need. And I, I I'm not so bothered about the the credit part. But that's what I always say to people is like you've got to bear those things in mind and the lifestyle. Yeah, it's quite a grueling lifestyle, isn't it? I, I in my career history, I've worked in many software companies, and we've always had a a consultancy function, a professional services function, and the people that work in there, it can be pretty grueling. You know, you're up at five in the morning in the car driving to one customer site and you spend the day there and you don't go till the job's done. So you might be there till six or seven. Then you drive to the local hotel and crash out. And then you're up early the next morning to drive 200 miles to a completely different customer account to do services and engagement. And you've got to be fresh and alert and lively. And that might drag on. And then you're back in the car and you're on to the next hotel. Is it really that grueling? That'd be some. I mean, if it was like that all the time, I wouldn't be doing it. And but the other side is, I don't, I don't want to be, you know, in somewhere for a year or six months. And again, that's another area of preference for some people. They like to have big contracts and really get stuck in that they. I I have done that. I've I've done both, to be honest. And and at the moment, I'd probably have a good balance. I've always worked from home and out with clients. In the last three or four years, that has changed to be home and then home and a little bit with clients and in some ways it's you know I, I do more probably more the middle east the far east and and the americas than than i ever did because i can i can do it from my from my little office at home um whereas before that was maybe more of a consideration to when i did go and i worked in china and malaysia and you know india and all sorts of middle east and so on but not that much compared to some people who are there all the time. So it's it's definitely a combination of lifestyle and your what you're good at. If you, if you can influence and then you can, you know, if you're a people person, you can read people, read the room. Under situational analysis is the thing, and is it like where are we with this really? And that's where you have to put aside all your knowledge of frameworks and models and things that just you know probably. You know, are use they are useful, but you got to look at that situation. And say, right, well, what do you need? Where where are we now? Where do we need to get do to get to the next stage? And that really does then mean if that means different people or different skills or whatever, then so be it. You know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's dive out very slightly. This is fascinating, by the way. And when you're not working, and when you're not uh, busy doing that, we know you're a musician, Barclay. You know, you've got musical talents and. Certainly a fair number of us in the industry have seen you at various social events late in the evening, sometimes early hours of the morning at a, a piano, um, banging out some old show tune. 
you clearly got <laughs> you've got a magic talent there. Have you you've continued with the musical talent throughout all this time? Do you ever play? Uh, have you been in bands? Can anybody see you? Do you play publicly? Not so much now. I mean, I, I, you know, I went from doing literally playing every night and sometimes every night and every day for a number of years to then doing semi-pro, which I did probably until my late thirties, where I would play at the weekends. But that really was actually quite life um, stifling in a lot of ways because you know you're never able to enjoy the weekends. Mm. So I've I don't do that much. I, I do I enjoy doing those kind of social things. Occasionally I will do the odd. Yeah, actually, not that long ago, there was a little group here of of professionals who who did a little jazz thing in a local. I would like to do more. Um, I have a nice piano. I used to compose music. I mean, I, I've written. There's there's stuff out there on SoundCloud that I've that I've written. Okay, so we can find you on SoundCloud. Can we? You under- can. Yeah. What's that? Under your name. Under my name, yes. Well, I had a pop band in the eighties. There's songs there, and then some other stuff I did um, yeah. after that. None of none of it's recent, but it's it's there. Yeah, um, fantastic. Oh, very so, good. Yeah. Strong musical talent. Okay, we're going to move on to the quick fire section, which All is right. where I'm going to ask you a series of short and quick questions. Some of them light-hearted, some of them more central to the podcast, perhaps. But let's just see. How we go with the okay. quick fire section, and we're going to start with asking you. We talked about music. Can you name two other of your talents outside of work that you would say is something you're good at or you enjoy doing? What else do you do? Two more things. Pretty good cook, I think. Um, okay. Yeah, I spend a lot of time doing that. Really quite adept at you know socialising. <laughs> I, I I don't you know I like um, I enjoy watching sport. And um, I used to, I used to be half decent at golf, but I haven't really done much of that of late. And Very of course, good. I'm always interested in things like politics and uh, current. Oh, I've noticed, yes, we've noticed you have a slight, a slight lean to your to your politics, and those that follow you on Twitter would, would certainly see a little bit of that. But you don't overdo it. But still, it's clear. Okay, what's your favourite cheese, Barclay? Oh, um, a good Stilton or or. Any blue is a bit brutal, but it's it's it was the thing that introduced me to to new ch- to different cheeses. Uh, I do. I, I li- when I lived in worked in Norway, I lived in Jarlsberg for pretty much a year, so I still got an affection for that. But, um, a good blue, good blue. Okay, and when we're on the colours, uh, wine, red or white? Uh, it depends. It's a consultant's answer, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I like a good, um, robust red, like a Gamay or a, you know a Chateau Neuf or something like that. I like a good dry white, you know, Chablis or something like that. You know. Okay. Next question. Perfect holiday destination. I've probably done a lot of cultural holidays, and I'd probably just like to lie somewhere in a beach. There are some amazing, uncluttered beaches in the northwest of Scotland. This time of year are absolutely beautiful and, and empty, and have white sands and aquamarine seas. Um, but there's midges, so it probably have to be somewhere like I don't know Portugal or Spain or somewhere like that. Yeah, okay. Let's bring it back. Still kind of quick fire, but maybe just a little bit longer. Obviously, we talk on this podcast, and 
we circle around like water in a uh, in a bath when the plug comes out we circle around the topic of business and it and modern working and so and all of these things let's draw back to that let's get closer to that plug hole and say to you what, what do you see as the the future of our uh, so call it our industry right the future of our industry for the next three to five years where do you see that heading well i mean there's always a lot of talk about this and and just a little bit of perspective on that before we i might have mentioned this before but i mean i, I remember being shown the uh the service desk of the future by ibm ibm greenock actually when was that took me well i'll tell you in a minute they, they took me to this setup that they had do you remember there used to be uh, in in the uk there used to be an advert for the carlsberg complaints line with the phone ringing out and nobody could find it and eventually yeah. somebody found a room and it was covered in dust and there was a phone there and it was a wrong number. And then you saw that it was the complaints department. And the idea was they don't get any complaints. <laughs> and that was the sort of theory of it. It was a ambient, quiet place. There was a couple of people sitting around, you know, doing occasional bits of checking on things, occasionally answering a, a digital message and, you know, looking at various monitors and things. But really it was a quiet and controlled place <laughs> and um, they said that's that's where we're going with this will be in five years time everything will will be like this and that was in 1990 <laughs> and um, I don't know many service desks like that there are yeah that of course we have come a long way and the world has changed since then but actually most places I go you know there's still people busy noise or activity <laughs> sometimes chaos, probably a lot more organized than we were. I think we've come a long way in that, but it is difficult to look ahead. I do think that we, where we're going is much more around being enablers rather than supporters. But we've been talking like that for 10 years, to be honest. I think the automation is all really starting to, to kick in and the understanding of more around people and experience is kicking in. These things have always been there to some extent. Uh, and there's a lot of talk at the moment about, you know, the, the human element and well-being and all these, which are absolutely great. And I think that they, they are becoming much more, not just prevalent, but being noticed and taking notice of. So, I I, I mean, I, I think given that I know so many organizations where they still rely very heavily on really quite large service operations, that's they're not just going to disappear overnight. They're, they're going to be around for a while. The nature of how they work will change. but um, you know, I think it's going to be much more at the quality end of things and the how-to and, you know, rather than can you get me out of this hole that I'm in and that sort of thing. But I think it will still take a bit of time. You know, there's, there's been a big change in the last couple of years, a lot more goodwill towards the support world because they did get everybody out of a hole in 2020. They did make everybody able to work from home very quick, and that has given them a huge increase in profile, but also increase in expectation. And it's the question then for how people kick on. You know, what, what I see is more interested in the quality end of things from leadership, but not always the understanding of what's involved. So yes, let's do catalog, let's do problem, let's do all these things without really realizing that that means the whole, it's not just, well, the service that's going to do that or the support guy, it's the whole organization or we're working more with the business. So you know, like any of these things, there's leaders and there's 
laggers uh, and it'll take a while to to roll out but it's definitely moving in a positive direction and my perspective is still based on what it was like in the mid 80s when I joined an organization and they've really treated customers end users like crap basically you know and and we moved on we didn't have any expectations of service and you know that ha- and and the way and the level of what people thought about desks and people that work in them and people that do support was was poor we still have an element of that but that has improved massively so i probably dodged your answer by saying i don't really know but i think it will continue to progress but maybe not at the same level that we always anticipate everything's going to be automated in a couple of years no it's not everything's going to be you know seamlessly integrated in a couple of years no it's not but we'll get more of it and it will get better that's a great uh that's a great finisher to our main section that's a really good little description there no it's not that's very good well before we move into the the final wrap-up i'll say thank you barkley i'm going to say you are clearly philosopher author musician consultant thought leader podcaster and you've been improving businesses and the delivery of technology powered service for many 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 years so congratulations and thank you for the work you do and thank you for being our very special guest this week my pleasure and i didn't even introduce myself taking as long as actually and then so got to be on the right track And we're back. And you know you can't go. You can't go, Barclay. You can't go until you've answered the question that every one of our guests answers. Mm-hmm. Two questions, remember. The first one is, how can people find you? Uh, the, but the second one is the traditional one. Let's do the how can people find you first. How can people find Barclay? If you come to Crystal Palace and just look around, you, you'll, you'll find me wandering. Uh, or you find me at barclayradio.com or LinkedIn com or LinkedIn. Okay, fantastic. And then that question, what would be your recommended drink? I think we may have asked you this about a year ago. We're asking again, your recommended drink for our audience on the podcast bar. This this is a really difficult one for me because those of you who know me know that I occasionally partake of a small sherry or a large gin and tonic or, you know, a pint of not brown ale or a pint of you know, good German lager or a glass of Bordeaux or a glass of, you know, Riesling or I will say, what I will say is I think my preferred drink is a nice, sharp, crisp, dry lager beer, a good German or Danish or French lager on a a hot day. That that, that really is the the best, I I think. All those other things I enjoy as well. But um, if I had to stick with one that's probably what it would be fantastic well thank you very much i think it's been a a great episode in our ongoing podcast series and thanks to our lovely audience hello you yeah well thanks very much for um staying this long if you if you have i've enjoyed that we'll do the same for you in in the the coming weeks we'll 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 tease it out of him um we'll see you next time on the enterprise digital podcast thank you thank you bye-bye